Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. I cannot tell you how excited I am about today's two guests. One of them I've known quite a long time. The other one I've just gotten acquainted with. I respect them both so much. They're college presidents. They're Christian college presidents. Quite a number of years ago, I don't remember exactly what year it was, I was asked to speak at the Wesleyan General Conference. This was of our denomination. And I was assigned to speak on the, the night of education night, actually the afternoon, Sunday afternoon. And we were talking about the educational institutions, the Christian colleges of the denomination. And I chose to, to launch my remarks from Peter Drucker's comments that there were three jobs that were the most sociologically complex of all jobs, hospital administrator, megachurch pastor, and a college president. I focused on the third one, why is a college president, a Christian college president, why is his job so sociologically complex? And I made the case that they have to deal with competing constituencies, all who are vying for their values to be the number one. Whether it's the students, the faculty, the administration, the alumni, the donors, the parents, the community, it, it goes on, the accrediting agencies, it just goes on and on with the constituencies they have to please, sometimes with very competing value structures. That is difficult and that is hard. But that was a long time ago. <clears throat> now it's gotten considerably harder, more challenges. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Then I was asked by a man named Carrie Kend. Uh, both those on the screen with me will know Carrie Kend. Dr. Jim Dunn knows him, knew him very well. He just passed away. A couple of weeks ago, a tremendous loss on earth, a great gain in heaven. He was in charge of the Wesleyan denominational educational institutions. He was over them all. And he asked me to speak on a topic. This was back in 1999. So it was a long time ago on why Christian colleges lose their Christocentricity. Oh. I did not want to speak because he, number one, had given a free book, James Tunstall Bershaw's book, like 500 and some pages or 800, whatever it was, a huge book to every one of the college presidents that were there, the academic deans and various representatives from the institutions. And then secondly, speaking right before me was George Marsden from Notre Dame, who wrote the classic book on this. So I was really profoundly intimidated and for good reason. I was kind of a minor league compared to George Marsden and Notre Dame. But Terry would not let me out of it. He said, no, I want you to lecture three different hours on that topic. I said, wow. So I worked for six months on that talk. I can summarize everything that I worked on and shared down this phrase. And the question is, how is it that Christian colleges capitulate over time? The Ivy League institutions, University of Michigan was once a godly school, University of Berkeley, California was once a godly school, and now we're losing a whole wave of evangelical schools right now towards wokeism. Why is that? Why does that happen? It's a central question. How does it occur? And I came to this conclusion, and here's my summary that people will capitulate and compromise, whether it's an individual, a local congregation, a denomination, or an entire college education or company, once they value the accolade of other humans more than they fear and reverence God. That is it. It's that simple. And so we've watched academic institutions capitulate Christian schools. I'll say one more personal illustration, and I've got to get my guest because I'm so excited about you meeting him. I make a claim, I know this is a strong claim, so fashion your seatbelt, that I've spent more hours trying to recruit students to go to Christian colleges than any other pastor in America. <laughs> Can I prove that? No, I cannot. But I'll just tell you this, virtually every Sunday, my, my dad was a farmer and he loved Christian education and he promoted, promoted, promoted. That was built into me. He says, get your kids, get those kids in your church, Christian colleges. So it came from my dad and my mom. They were equally strong on that. And so as a result, every Sunday, I, I stood and greeted in, in the church, even to the last Sunday that I pastored, pastored for four and a half decades, I greeted for an hour and 15 minutes, that's how long it took for the line to empty, after every service, and every time I spotted a high school kid, parents of high school kids, or students that were in the local community college that were going to need to transfer, I buttonholed them, tried to get them to a Christian college, I phoned the college president on my cell phone connects it, talk to this kid now. I did that over and over and over and over for decades of ministry. That's why I contend I've talked to the most, uh, trying to get them to the Christian colleges of anybody I know. 
But the jolt the last few years has been colleges, some of the colleges I promoted, some of them. I would never send my children or my grandchildren or anybody to anymore. That grieves me. I mean, seriously grieves me. However, I want to bring you a good report. I want, to, I want you to meet some college presidents that are standing and know that they're having to stand against some really tough times. We have our special guest today, Dr. Jim Dunn from Oklahoma Wesleyan University. I'm prejudiced. I graduated there. And I had the privilege of speaking for homecoming there just recently. And then Dr. Wayne Lewis, president of Houghton University, a very prestigious school. It's been nicknamed sometimes the Little Harvard uh, in upstate New York, in Houghton College, a small uh, Houghton uh, community. It's a small community, but it's a very, very well-known school. And I, I didn't realize to both of you, I didn't realize this till after I scheduled both of you, didn't realize till yesterday, I have, uh, though I haven't earned a, a, a doctorate, but I happen to have on the wall right here, honorary doctorates from both of your institutions. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't pick you for that reason. <laughs> I, I picked you because of your courage and boldness, but I, I, that's a, an extra special tie that I have to. Dr. Lewis, I'm going to start with you. You just recently uh, took over the reins of Houghton University, I think maybe two years ago or so. Yes, sir. And then you faced some tremendous challenges more recently. Tell me, first of all, just about who you are, and I'll do the same with Dr. Dunn, who you are for the first minute or two. Tell us about you, because you are high level in government, as well as very academically trained. So tell us a little bit about who you are. Then we're going to go to the questions about Houghton University. Well, thank you, Jim. Thanks for the invitation, and I'm, I'm really honored to be here. Um, I've spent most of my, my career in education. Um, my wife and I both started as middle school and high school teachers. Um, and so I, after leaving um, high school teaching, I moved into teacher preparation. Um, and that was the beginning of my higher education career. Most of my higher education career has been in the public sector, actually at the University of Kentucky, um, where I served as a faculty member and a program administrator. Um, I also spent four years in state government, had the, the privilege to serve the people of the Commonwealth of Kentucky as the commissioner of education. Uh, my initial move into Christian higher education uh, was at Belmont University in Nashville, where I served as dean of the College of Education. Um, and, and I've served as uh, president of Houghton University, uh, which is an incredible honor for me for the last two years. So just completing my second year here at Houghton. Jim Dunn, give me uh, give me your history as well in a minute or two, and then we're going to go to a question for Dr. Lewis. That's great. Great to be on here with you, Jim and, and Wayne. Um, grateful that you're an alum of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, and so we're proud of you and the Christ ministry through you. I am the son of a church planter, and my mother and father planted churches, uh, sixth generation ordained minister that weaves in and out of uh, holiness traditions, as well as some Quaker traditions years ago. I uh, am an alum of Oklahoma Wesleyan and served as a local church pastor after going to seminary at Asbury Theological Seminary for 15 years, pastored on the east side of Indianapolis in a Wesleyan church, then was uh, over North American ministries and discipleship for the denomination for 12 years became a consultant on strategic planning for churches through Wesleyan Investment Foundation for three years, and now I'm here. So I've never uh, worked for a university prior to this particular position. I just finished my fourth year, and Wendy and I are delighted to be here and serving the school that we went to school at. And uh, what a great group of people and alumni that we have. So it's our privilege and honor. In a wonderful community of Bartlesville, Oklahoma, which is north of Tulsa, a short distance. By the way, I'm, I've known uh, Dr. Dunn's father, his older brother, his sister. This is a rather remarkable family. Uh, they have been over the Wesleyan Investment Foundation, uh, which has gone from a few thousand dollars to, a, I don't know, a billion or billion and a half or something. The, these two generations of what this uh, the Dunn family has done for that. They loan money to churches to build churches all around the United States. Dr. Lewis, uh, you you have been at Houghton uh, two years, and you have you really come through quite an interesting time just recently, where the media, where, where, where a number of people were attacking you, many others, I'm sure, doing what I'm doing, supporting you. But can you tell us a little bit about what happened uh, in that recent experience? 
So we've had quite a few, quite a bit of uh, media attention as of late, um, and most of that media attention has stemmed from um, a New York Times article that chronicled um, the departure of two Houghton employees. Uh, those those employees were were terminated. They made their termination public uh, via social media and gave a few interviews. And and among the reasons for termination that they shared um, had to do with noncompliance with a policy around standardized email signatures. Specifically at issue here is that our policy around email signatures does not permit um, employees to include preferred pronouns in their email signatures, nor does it include um, allow employees to include preferred pronouns in their video conferencing or any way that they represent themselves and represent the university. Um, as you might imagine, that, that created quite a bit of stir as that made the rounds on social media. It has become a pretty common practice among uh, secular institutions in the secular workplace for people to include preferred pronouns. And so the idea that we would not um, has, has created a bit of controversy. Uh, the, the use of preferred, would this be a fair statement to say, Dr. Lewis, uh, the use of preferred pronouns, he, his, whatever, is really a subtle way of affirming transgender ideology, the notion that a man can be born a man but declare himself a woman later on. That's really the subtle statements being made by that. Am I correct? You, you are correct, Jim. And, and the reason we don't permit employees to include preferred pronouns, whether those pronouns match your um, gender and, and sex at birth or not, um, is that it, it at the very least implies an openness and potentially an acceptance um, of, of ideas about sex and gender, the ideas that gender can be different than sex, that gender can be changed. Um, and that's a position that does not align with who we are um, as a university. It's a position that does not align with our sponsoring denomination. Um, and to be frank, I think it doing so, if an employee chooses to do that, the, the, the people they do the greatest disservice to, to our students, and to prospective students and families, because you, you are signaling to our students and prospective students that the university believes something that it does not, uh, that the university is going to embrace or potentially affirm a position that it does not. And the last thing I want is to communicate, either intentionally or unintentionally, to prospective students or families who are not here, that Houghton is something that it is not. People should know that Houghton is in fact a Bible-based, intentionally Christ-centered institution and, and that the Bible is authoritative for us in terms of our decision-making, our policy, and our practice. Tell me if I'm correct in this question I'm gonna to throw to both of you. I was told by one uh, Christian college president of an evangelical and holiness school he said, Jim, you have no idea how, how difficult it's gotten the last five years. The students coming into our schools do not carry the values that we have on the issue of homosexuality and even transgenderism some measure. And so consequently, the challenge even among students coming out of contemporary churches into our Christian colleges, and I recognize Christian colleges have far more that, and many who are not coming from a church, but even those coming through evangelical churches are not coming in with a value structure that is distinctly biblical, which makes it that much harder uh, for a college president. Is that the experience? It, it, what that college uh, uh, professor, president told me, is that accurate? Uh, is that, does that square with what you have both experienced? Jim, then I'll go to you first and then Dr. Lewis. Yeah, so one of the misnomers about Christian universities is that every student that comes in is a Christian. And that's not a prerequisite to be admitted uh, to the university. We see admission and engagement with a student as an opportunity to evangelize and to share the gospel. And so we want to do that and we want to be a part of that. But our students at Oklahoma Wesleyan sign a covenant. And regardless of whether they agree with what they might ca call ideology or what we might call theology and a biblical standard, 
they sign a covenant of behavior. And if those covenants are broken, then we remind them of that. And we also have a recourse to be able to discipline them. And so I get asked quite a bit by parents and different instant, you know, different uh, agencies, sometimes donors, once in a while foundations, you know, how do you handle somebody that uh, wants to be in transgender and whatever. And I, I literally tell them without trying to be too snarky that the trans, trans that we believe in is the transformation of the entire person and introducing them to Christ. That's the only trans we believe in. And so the transformation of what God can do is what we hold on to. So even though they may come in, and I don't think it's a whole lot, uh, we've got some studies internally that would suggest about 5% come in with some uh, sexual dysphoria kinds of approaches and ideologies and thoughts. Um, but regardless of what they come in with, that is sin and outside of a biblical standard, we still have the expectation and the signature of a covenant. And that's not only for students. Um, our employees are supposed to be Christ followers, and they sign that covenant as well on behavior. So that's how I would approach that question. It's interesting on that percentage you give, because I interviewed um, a professor of this in this area of gender dysphoria at an extremely well-known uh, evangelical school. And she told me that at their institution, it, uh, as many as 16% of the student body now identifies itself within the framework of LBGTQ, which is pretty astounding. And the culture at large among Gen Z is 19.7, I think I, I, I read just recently on that one. Uh, Dr. Lewis, back to you. So you took a stand. This involved employees. And immediately, I think if I'm not mistaken, the New York Times even went that far to begin articles about you or about Houghton. Is that is that accurate? It, it is accurate. It is, and, and if it's okay, Jim, I'd, I'd love to to just catch a little bit of, of the the discussion you and, and Jim Dunn were having as well. Um, we we're an institution, you know, much like Oklahoma Wesley, and this is our sister institution. Um, and Jim and I are in, in constant communication. I thank God for him. Um, all of our students don't come to us as Christians. They sign a statement of, of behavioral expectations, just like they do at Oklahoma Wesleyan. Um, our standards for employees are, are of a different nature um, than our standards for students. But with respect to students, one of the things I think that gets lost in this conversation is the number of young people or the percentage of young people who do continue to hold orthodox biblical views on sexual morality, on gender, on sex. Uh, I think that group, the number of those young people is vastly underreported. And, and, and what I find in spending time with students and getting to know students and having conversations with students is the impact of culture is such that it, it bullies students often to the place where they're uncomfortable with sharing what they truly believe. Um, I have, I've had so many conversations with students over the years or with families over the years who do in fact hold to orthodox biblical positions on a number of issues, but they wouldn't share that publicly or openly because of fear of ridicule, because of fear of backlash. And so I, I, I don't disagree with folks who talk about, you know, the gen things changing generationally and there being fewer people um, who do identify or hold to orthodox biblical positions. But I think there are a lot more young people and families who do in fact want just what we offer um, as intentional Christ-centered institutions that hold to a biblical worldview. This is what they're looking for. This is what they signed up for. This is why they come. And they're expecting us to lead, to hold that standard, and, and to some extent, to some um, extent, to model for their young people what it looks like to truly live lives that, that bring together both the compassion of our Savior with a biblical standard. 
I, I would pick up on that if I could as well. Um, we have non-Christian families that bring their students to tour our campus to be prospective students. They don't use Christian terms, but they'll talk to me about, uh, it could, because I meet with them if I'm on campus, I meet with every person that tours here and tell, we tell them who the, that we are and what they can expect and what we don't allow. And it's very specific. They might as well know upfront what the expectations are. I'll have a parent stop going out of my office and turn around and say, hey, thanks for having common sense. You know, and I, I'd like to say we have biblical sense, but I'm not going to get into a, you know, clarification at that point. They call it stability. They call it safety. They call it common sense. And it's actually biblical sense. Uh, but they're, they're sick and tired of the chaos in culture and this bullying that Wayne's talking about. And this, this shame kind of cancel call, you can call it whatever you want. They're tired of that. And um, we actually use the phrase biblical sense around our campus quite a bit, which should be common sense in what we were created for in the first place. Just a little bit of an anecdote. Um, in 2008, we had Proposition 8 here in California, 14 words that said marriage is only recognized and valid if it's between a man and a woman. And it, it passed miraculously 52.3%. People said it could never pass here in California, but it did in 2008. Uh, we, only 47% of whites supported it. Only 49% of Asians supported it. So we knew it has to be the Hispanics and Blacks that would carry it through. And sure enough, they did. 56% of Hispanics supported it, same, uh, traditional marriage, that is, and 70% of African-Americans. So it was the Hispanics and the African-Americans who preserved marriage the right definition of marriage in California. Well, I was on a plane ride right after that, uh, an African-American, uh, a, a mother and her daughter. And I'm sitting there and the mother says, please, we got to talk about this. She says, please talk to my daughter and her views about same-sex marriage. I don't like it. She needs to stand for traditional marriage. So I engaged in a conversation. We had a good conversation. We went for probably 15 minutes. And I said, now, is this all this making sense to you? I was making my case. She says, yeah. Then she stopped and says, I voted traditional marriage her mother was shocked because she represented represented way. but when it came down to the privacy of the voting booth it, it, it supports dr lewis what you're saying there was something rooted within her that she knew what to do was right in that moment to the, even to the surprise surprise of her mother i want to come back dr lewis to what you just went through recently because i, I what i the reason i contacted you i was just so proud of courage, my hung, my heart hungers for courageous and bold leaders in this time in which we we live, and you represent that for me along with Dr. Dunn as well. And and so, how did you process through this? How this this season of sort of I'll call it the heat coming on. Uh, I, I know what it is to be attacked for my stand on marriage. I, I get that. So when the heat came on, how did you? What was that storm like? And how did you? What caused you to be able to stand firm through the midst of it? Because we have seen so much waffling and capitulation in our culture today. Most recently, the L.A. Dodgers over the situation there. They vacillated, went back and forth, ended up the wrong way. Uh, how did you take the heat and how did you walk through that with, with the courage that you represented? You know, I, I think for me personally, Jim, I can see so many experiences over the course of my life and my career that God has used um, to prepare me um, professionally and personally. Um, this is this is not um, my first time dealing with with very public um, criticism um, that that's been a, a part of my my professional story um, and those th those things aren't fun to go through. Um, you, they, they leave scars and they're damaging and they're hurtful, not just to you, but, but often to your, your family as well. I think about the toll uh, that these types of experiences have on my wife in particular and, and, and my daughter. And so it's, it's not pretty. Um, with that said, you know, for, for, for Jim and I, as presidents of Wesleyan institutions, this is one of the things I, I share with our um, colleagues on campus and with students on campus, is as a Wesleyan institution, frankly, as a president, 
I don't have the right or the authority to change the biblical position, the doctrinal position of a Wesleyan university. That's, that's who we are. That's not within my authority. Neither, quite honestly, is that within the authority of our boards of trustees. Those positions are adopted by the people of the Wesleyan church. So the position I've taken, the decisions that I've made on campus recently and prayerfully what, what I continue to do um, over my tenure at Houghton is to be consistent and to be clear about what those positions are. The, the position um, of, of Houghton and the Wesleyan Church on gender and identity is not a new position. I said recently, we were founded in 1883. Our position on gender um, and, and sex is not any different today than it was in 1883. What has changed is society. What has changed in culture is culture. And so the decisions that I'm making in this moment are an effort to make sure that, that as culture shifts, culture changes, language changes, the way people represent themselves changes, that we continue to be absolutely clear about who we are and what we believe. Part of why I respect you so much is there are other presidents who are in schools where the denominations have clear statements, but those statements have been pragmatically violated. I'll put it that way. They're just simply not, they're not following, they're not pursued. So I so respect the integrity of what you govern. The, uh, you have a student body, you have a faculty, you have the administration, you have alumni, you have parents, you have donors. Uh, how how are you weathering all of with these various constituencies? I hope and pray godly people are rising you up, rising up and blessing you for being a man of integrity and courage and biblical truth. How how is that going in through this season you have been through? You know, there, there's a there's a very vocal minority in situations like this. Um, and and if if the only thing people watch is social media and use social media as a barometer for 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 where our alumni are or where our supporters are, it can lead you to 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 a place that's not true. Um, the reality is we've received incredible support and affirmation from Houghton's alumni. Um, from Houghton's parents, from Houghton um, supporters, um, that typically comes directly to us. Again, that's not something people share on social media or say publicly, but um, I've felt, quite honestly, more support from our alumni, parents, um, and even current students in the last month than at any other point in my two years here mm -hmm. at Houghton. And, mm -hmm. I, and I, th I thank God for that. You just blessed me. There's just so much I'm thinking about saying, but Jim Dunn, what do you want to add to this, Dr. Dunn? I, first of all, I'm very proud of Wayne. And uh, we've talked uh, prior to this conversation a few times and our board uh, is committed to praying for you and for all the great people of Houghton and all of your great supporters. And I've personally expressed my prayers for him, his family, that God would protect him. Uh, this is exactly the kind of courage that we need. And, and to tie in a little bit with, you know, what a president of a Christian university is obligated to, um, even in not just us, but every person who works for our university, who you hire is cardiac to your mission. And when that gets off base, uh, the scriptural reference would be yeast in my mind. Once that yeast gets in, it can infect the whole loaf. And so mm -hmm. uh, a president of a Christian university has to guard who is hired and trust that we're hiring the right people and put the covenants in place. Our faculty and staff and employees all the way down to our grounds crew uh, are all important, but they all sign covenants. And if they decide they don't want to believe what we believe, 
in listing even our articles of religion. We don't even give a link. We list them out so they know precisely what they're signing, as well as the behaviors and teachings that we want to uh, uphold and continue to promote and proclaim. Um, if they don't want to sign it, they won't be employed here. And it's really quite simple. Thankfully, we have people that want us to become even more bold, want us to proclaim the truth even more, and to do that in what I would call, and quoting uh, Wesleyan doctrine, optimistic grace, that nobody's outside the grip of God. But who we employ is, employ is not a salvation conversation. It's a mission conversation. And so um, we have to guard that door. And Wayne is doing that. And I'm so proud of him. Uh, I can't imagine what he's going through with uh, different responses. But I'm grateful that people are around him to support him and encourage him and to help him stay. Uh, this is crucial, as you know, Jim, in any leadership conversation. You, you you know from Prop 8 what it's like to be in the crosshairs. And any of this kind of stuff can come up anywhere. We've got to have the body of Christ praying for us, supporting us, uh, not questioning things unless they need to be questioned, but you know, holding us accountable. But let's cheer on those who are doing the right things every day. And Wayne's doing that. And I'm just so proud to know him and to work alongside of it. Uh, Jim, I believe you're quoted, correct me if I'm wrong, as saying that you would not, I'm not sure if I got this right in the quote, that you would not have a DEI officer or something like that uh, while you were president. Explain to people what DEI officer is. Um, I don't know if some Christian schools can have one that is not Marxist, <laughs> advocating homosexuality, etc., uh, maybe maybe they found a way to do that, but uh, explain to me what a DEI officer is and why you made that statement. Yeah, so DEI stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And uh, on the surface, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, is cared for biblically. Uh, diversity means that we've all been made in the image of God, but we're all unique. It also means that there's uh, equity, that whosoever will may come and receive the forgiveness of Jesus. Inclusion happens in the book of Revelation, where every tongue, nation, and tribe are part of this great throne room of heaven singing, holy, holy, holy. And I'm not trying to be terse. I directed multi-ethnic ministry for the denomination for a number of years. About a third of our student body is not Caucasian. and Here's the thing. When you have to get into some of the pressures of secular DEI, um, you're into quotas. You're into oftentimes the dysphoria of gender and sexuality. Um, people are looking for this secular kind of societal pressure to include everyone on every issue, no matter what they believe. And so um, my statement about having or not having a DEI department, not having a DEI director uh, is cared for biblically. We believe in diversity, equity, and inclusion that God has presented to us. And we also need to work on the fact that there are pools of people that need to be considered for employment as long as they are a mission match that sometimes we're not in, right? So in uh, the Bible Belt of America that our university is located in, we we have to work at taking a look at people who are outside of what we look like, but they're going to believe what we believe in order to be hired. They're going to behave the way that we expect them to behave to be able to maintain and retain their job. But um, this, this issue actually is cared for scripturally. We don't need a department to be able to do this. I know there's lots of opinion about it, but when it gets into the fact that you cannot uh, be who you are in Christ and transformed by Christ, um, that's where it gets really tricky. And then I would say that's that's my reference to saying this is where people start looking at quotas. They don't look at the quality of people sometimes. They look for a certain uh, profile sometimes. And we've got to be uh, looking, believe me, in places and 
in people that may not look like us, but they will believe like us. We've got to guard that door, like I mentioned before. And so um, this is where biblical sense kicks in. Uh, common sense would be to say you've got to have all of these uh, different aspects to really employ the right people. Now, we need to employ people who are on mission for Christ and who are uh, in solidarity to our doctrinal statements and behaviors. Uh, Wayne and I haven't talked about this. We're obviously uh, not the same uh, ethnicity and background and race. <laughs> but I know that's a surprise. We're twins, really, we're twins. But um, I believe DEI is cared for. Diversity, equity, inclusion is cared for in the gospel. And um, to be able to explain it, we use the term here called kingdom diversity. And everybody's made in the image of God. Everybody's worthy of dignity. Everybody is worthy of the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus and his resurrection. Everybody's worthy of forgiveness. Don't get me preaching. I, I can go on and on about this. But uh, the diversity and equality, equity, inclusion, all of that is cared for in the scriptures. It's interesting that when it boils down, to, there's a sense in which in the secular setting, diversity is basically anti-male, equity is Marxist, and inclusion is basically homosexual and transgender. That's kind of what it plays out, it seems like. Uh, Dr. Lewis, comment on this if you would. Yeah, I, I, and like Jim said, he, he, I don't know that we've ever had this specific conversation, but I think Jim is absolutely right. Um, you know, I, I think there are, I know there are, because I know some people who do this work that is labeled DEI, who are good people, who want good things. Um, frankly, I don't use the language DEI. Um, and, and I don't at Houghton have a, a chief diversity officer. Um, it, it doesn't mean for me that you can't adopt a model and be a biblical institution that, um, that has those things. But personally, I have not done that. Um, I believe this is a, a worldview question. Um, I, I, I struggle to believe that as a president of a small Christian college, that I can take the language of DEI that is well-defined, understood, and accepted in secular society and say, well, here at Houghton, I mean something different when I say it. Mm. Wow, wow. I, I, I don't know how to do that. And so to avoid confusion, when, when the terminology does have pretty well understood and accepted meaning, I, I actually, Jim, I use the language kingdom diversity as well. Oh, because when when you start, when you start from, from, from the Bible and you use a biblical worldview, yes, you care about God's people, all people. Because God cares about all people. You recognize that all people are image bearers um, of God. But the Bible leads us to strategies and ways of loving and caring for people that are very different than the, the typical strategies that we see coming out of mainstream DEI offices. So I, 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 the last thing I would wanna do is say that anyone who uses the language DEI, who practices DEI, you have a chief diversity officer that you can't be a Christian institution. That's not what I'm saying at all. I am saying personally, I've decided to not adopt a chief diversity officer. And it is very important to me that as we show to our students, to our community and to the world, how much we value and appreciate, love and respect the diverse peoples of the world, that we do that from a very decidedly biblical worldview. Oh, I wish I could believe in cloning, but if I did, I would clone the two of you. <laughs> I just, as we were just coming on the air, I got this direct message from somebody I, I I don't believe I've ever met her, I, or maybe I have. I don't. I, I kind of recognize the name, but I don't know who it is. But she is talking about her niece, 
niece or granddaughter, which is it here? That that just oh yeah, her, her niece gone into a Christian university. It's a school that you both would know, and I, I suspect you would probably know the president. I know the president there fairly well, but this student is very disappointed how woke it is. Now it really saddened me. I, I got that just literally as we were coming on the air together, huh. and I, I know this president is not himself that way. He's not. I know his heart, and I really respect him, but he's obviously got some faculty that are out of sync with where he's at and where the institution ought to be at and where that denomination's at, et cetera. How do you, as a university president, know what your faculty are teaching uh, to make sure the wokeness of the world is not crept in? How do you do that in an institution? Because that's hard to keep up with. And then in a case like this, should the, 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 I really respect the, the, the president. Should I let him, I mean, with their permission only, let him know? I mean, if you were a president, would you want to have direct contact with this person as a pastor of a, of a church for years? If there was something I wanted to know. So I, I can't deal with stuff if I don't know it. But would you want to be contacted? I, I, would, would this be received as a, he's being beat up on? Or talk to me about that. And how do, how do you how do you maintain an institution in this culture where there's just so much capitulation in various places? How do you make sure your your faculty are marching together with with one heart in the ways of God and the ways of Scripture? Yeah, I would want to know. Um, you're not in every classroom. You're not on every road trip with an athletic team. You have no idea. Uh, just like as you referenced the local church, you you had no idea what your youth pastor was teaching all the time. You believed you hired the right person, but you weren't at every youth meeting. And so I would want to know, I would want to have a clarifying conversation of what they mean by woke and that term being thrown around um, rather generously today. Uh, most people don't know what it means, but regardless, um, there is accountability that can happen where deans and athletic uh, academic leaders are uh, permitted to observe in classrooms. There are mechanisms at our universities for students at our university for students to be able to report of something that's being taught that sounds a little off. And so then you do the investigation and figure out if somebody's really headed down a path that doesn't is, is not who you are, is not supposed to sound like whatever it is that they're purporting. And if they're going rogue on you, if they're going haywire on you, ultimately you need to introduce them to the exit door and to be able to say, you're gonna teach somewhere else or work somewhere else because you're not working here anymore. So there's a process that we have in place where those things can be reported, they can be analyzed, faculty, coaches can be observed. Uh, there's lots of other things that I don't want our people teaching and saying. And so, for example, we don't allow our coaches to use expletives in any way at any point in time. I don't care how bad the referee is. There is no room for that at a Christian university, and our coaches know that. So um, this is something that the president needs to know about. There needs to be some clarifying uh, conversation if that parent or student is willing to have them. That would be so helpful to that president that you know isn't leading that way, doesn't want that at his school, and needs to know if if that person would be able, be willing to come forward. You know, for, for me, Jim, I, I see, as, as president, I see one of my chief roles, one of my most important responsibilities as the keeper of the vision and the mission of the institution. And, and I see it primary for me, day in and day out, that no one on our campus is able to forget who we are, why we exist, and what we do. Mm -hmm. So that, that starts for me um, with my relationships with the executive cabinet. And then my, ex my expectation is that the executive cabinet is carrying that down um, and, and working with their teams. Uh, but then as president, I, I think there's a role for 
the campus-wide communi communication and the community-wide communication, even with parents and with alumni on a regular basis, that people are hearing from me very regularly. Mm -hmm. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is what we're about. And when need be, this is what we're not about. You know, Jim, Jim, you said very wisely not too long ago, I, I never forget it, that, that we need to spend more time talking about what we're for than yeah. what we're against. And, and I, I, I think that that's, that's wise. You know, I, I make sure I'm spending much more time talking about what we're for and who we are than who we're not. But every once in a while, it is necessary to be very clear about what we're not and who we're against and, and what we're against. The other, the other component of that for me though is, is relationships. Understanding what's happening on our campus, um, whether it's in classrooms, in offices, um, in conversations, most conversations that the president is not a part of or is not party to. I mean, you most of what I learn about what's happening at our university comes through conversations with people um, and oftentimes comes through conversations with people who I've developed trusting relationships with, where people say, hey, I want to share this with you. Sometimes that's with a faculty member. Sometimes it's with a parent. Sometimes it's with a student, a student who says, hey, I want to run this by you. This is something I heard or this is something that happened. What do you think about this? Now, the the, the, this is the last thing I'll say on this. Um, the, the conversation about academic freedom, I think, is a part of this and, and often becomes um, a, a contentious issue when we talk about matters like this. For me, I don't see, um, I don't see these, these as an either or thing, like an idea that you can be a missional Christ-centered institution and at the same time value academic freedom. And it goes back to um, hiring and employment expectations. Because if I'm very clear about who I'm recruiting, who I'm selecting, who I'm hiring, and on an annual basis, who I'm continuing to rehire, if I'm clear about who you are, I know who you are and what you believe, then I don't have a problem with academic freedom because I trust you. I know who you are. I know you understand, appreciate, and respect who we are. And within those bounds, I have no problem whatsoever with our faculty ex academic, um, exercising academic freedom. But you have to have, you have to have absolute confidence, first of all, in who you've hired and who your people are. I've kept both of you a long time. Oh, go ahead, Jim, you started saying something. One of the things that I personally chose to do, um, having never worked for a school before, uh, was to participate in the final interview of a faculty member, a head coach, or a director on our campus, which would be about probably a third of our employees. So these are the leaders on our campus. Obviously, administrators, vice presidents, I'm in those conversations all the time because they directly report to me. But regardless, I want to know three things in this conversation. And it's a hot seat conversation. It's not comfortable. And I, I, I literally say three things. Tell me about your relationship with Jesus. Tell me what your view of scripture is. And tell me how you care for students. And I, it's literally about an hour. And it's a thumbs up or a thumbs down for me. That doesn't fix everything. Uh, at our university, we don't tenure. We don't try to use that as a weapon. But if they decide to do something, say something, dress some way, whatever, to be something that we're not, we don't keep them. And that sounds harsh, but you've got to guard that mission. And these folks are on the front lines of doing that. And um, I literally tell students that I tell prospective students, I interview these people this way. I ask these questions. I want to know who they are. I want to know if they represent something. I spent 18 years investing into my two children, values and character traits and uh, biblical standards. And I spent a lot doing that and invested a lot. And I wasn't willing to throw that to the wind or I'm very crass in this statement. I know that, so keep praying for me. I wasn't gonna let some idiot yank that out of my own children out of college the first week of class. 
just to put it on the line. It was too valuable for me. And this is what your audience needs to hear. Every audience does. And that is, what will we invest to keep Orthodox schools alive and make sure that our students and our grandkids and, and children have a place that they can go and be trained in a biblical worldview? That is a huge investment that has to be considered. And if you think somebody's going to get that from a secular university, you're sadly mistaken. Sadly mistaken. And the Christian universities need to be asked questions as well to make sure that they're on track. But um, I, I tell the students in that in that that meeting, I literally pretend I'm your dad when I interview these persons to work at our school. And then I clarify with a little bit of a sense of humor, I hope, to say, I pretend I'm your dad until you need gas money, and then I'm done. I'm out. Right? So who you hire, again, and your view of Scripture, this could be the same thing for a church. You tell me what your view of Scripture is, and I'll tell you where you're headed. I, I cannot put in words how much the two of you encourage me. This is bit, this is a blessed day indeed for me because I've experienced in the past, I, I alluded to it earlier, such deep grief at some of our institutions. And so to hear the two of you talking, you make my day, you make my month. This is so good. And, and Jim, I think of your comment that it's not crass to say that some idiot would yank out these values. Uh, I can name to you the school. I was involved with Hepley, but this institution had Deconstruction Week, intentionally called it Deconstruction Week until they got enough pushback to change the name, where professors would say, we're going to take out of you everything your parents and pastors, the parents and pastors taught you, and we're going to destroy, destruct your face, deconstruct it, and we're going to build it back up. The problem is it didn't get built back up, or if it did, it was faulty. And I've warned many a parent. I'm going to write an article someday called I Failed, because even though I made the case to you, I felt like I've talked to more than the other pastor to get students in Christian education. I, I failed so many times, and I would try to warn them, you, when your kid comes home on, by Thanksgiving as a college freshman, he's going to be talking a different language, and you're going to say, what happened to my kid? And then you're going to come crying to the youth pastor, what went wrong? And I can tell you what went wrong. You're choosing the wrong institution. Well, my kid is I had a conversation at the airport a week ago. I said, boy, you better not go to that college, your, 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 your kids. And he said, oh, our kids are strong, are strong. Uh -huh. I wanted to say, mother, call me at Thanksgiving time when they come home. Uh -huh. I think they were twins going to school. I said, oh, no, this is bad. So I have these conversations with great frequency. But you two have so blessed me. What question I'm going to, I want people to pray for you. And we're going to go into a, of, a moment of prayer here. But uh, what I'm going to ask the question, what can we most pray for you? But what questions should I have asked of you when I have this wonderful opportunity that I fail to ask? Something about Christian education you want to say, or something is burning on your heart, or some, some area that I maybe just didn't touch on, I should have. Dr. Lewis, anything come to mind in that arena? You know, one of the things that I'm, I think about quite a bit, Jim, is the pipeline of people coming to um, not just work, but serve in Christian higher education institutions. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think for, for most of our institutions, if not all of our institutions, because, because it, we are so dependent on having people faculty, staff who share our biblical worldview, uh, I think we have to be start to be more intentional about preparing people and sending people back to Christian institutions to serve. Um, and it, it, it probably looks more like a grow your own type of initiative, thinking about young people um, as early as middle school and high school, and certainly in college, that we are preparing and equipping to come back and serve in this mission that is Christian higher education. So I, that's one of the things I'd love for us to, to start to um, give a little bit more attention to. Very well said, Dr. Dunn. Good. I would love to be asked if I believe in young people. And I <laughs> Dr. Dunn, let me ask you a question. Do you yeah. believe in young people? <laughs> I believe in young people. That's why I'm here. 
It's not because of the title. It's not because of any salary. It's not because of the parking space. It's because of the youth of today. The same conversation happened when I was 18 that's happening today. A little bit of a different topic. Are you ever going to be responsible? Are you ever going to get back with Christ? Are you ever going to truly believe? Are you ever really going to be productive and you know move out of your mom's basement? Same conversation. My wife and I have chosen to believe in young people. That's why we're here. I'm not kidding. The day that changes, somebody else will be parking in my space. These young people are phenomenal. And I tell them all the time, and they know this, that if they'll get right with Christ, that's where everything comes from. It's what everything's grounded on, what everything flows from. And then take the compassion they have for their fellow human beings. Our older audience, including myself, calls that tolerance. There's too much tolerance. There's no line in the sand. They put up with everything. They shouldn't do that. But they're compassionate about their friends, sometimes too compassionate. But if they'll take those two things in that order, get right with Christ, take the compassion they have for their fellow human beings, we believe they can fix this world. And I'm pretty sure that uh, everyone on this call would agree we need someone. We need a generation to step up and fix this thing because we're out of control. We're really on the air of the Wesleyan quadrilateral, only uh, highlighting experience. And we've forgotten scripture and tradition and reason. And we have the opportunity to teach that to these young people, just like somebody taught me. And so um, I believe in the youth of today. I'm not naive. I know they have issues. We've created some of them by being silent or not teaching scripture like we should or not guiding them like we should. But uh, we have a tremendous opportunity to turn this generation toward Christ. And if we don't, we're one generation away in our country from losing all of our Christian moorings. And that's what I believe. Thank you so much to both of you. Uh, folks, uh, parents and grandparents, here's two institutions you need to look at. There's a lot of colleges claiming to be Christian across America. I'm not sure how many members there are to the Consortium of Christian Colleges and Universities, CCCU, maybe a couple hundred of them, I don't remember. But um, don't assume because an institution is a member of that, that that means anything. Don't go by what the website says. You need to hear a president of an institution that's charting the course like you just heard. Here are two institutions you need to look at your kids and your grandkids. Oklahoma, Wesleyan Universities in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. I believe the website is what, Dr. Dunn? OKWU.edu. Okay. W-O-K for Oklahoma. W-U.edu. And in Houghton University, upstate New York, not too far from Buffalo, New York, I believe that was. Yes, sir. The community of Houghton. A, a prestigious institution um, that's highly, highly talented, highly respected. And the um, website for that, Dr. Lewis? It is Houghton, H-O-U-G-H-T-O-N dot E-D-U. These are two institutions you need to look at. And some may say, well, wait a minute, I, I live a long ways from Bartlesville, Oklahoma or Houghton, New York. Let me tell you. There's nothing so bad as sending a kid based upon geographical proximity and then they lose their soul. Mm -hmm. That is not the way you make a decision. Make sure you're in an institution that's uncompromising. Don't look at the website and go by that. Dig in and listen to what's being said. Individuals like this, both of you as presidents, I just want to tell you again, or I said at the outset, I respect you. I honor you. I bless you. You have encouraged me so much. So, uh, Dr. Lewis, there were two people in communication with me that were just so dis distraught over a number of things within our own tribe. And when they saw you stand, they said, there's hope. There's hope. You have no idea the ripple down effect when you took a stand like you did. And people said, oh. This this is this is the kind of person I want to identify with. So we just praise God for it. I'm going to pray for you right now, and then we're going to go into extended prayer. Father, I pray the blessing of the Lord around both these men, around their families. 
watch over them, uh, protect them in every arena again, give them good health, emotional, physical, and spiritual. I, I pray for their brides, for their offspring, their children. I pray for their physical strength, their mental acuity, the clarity of thought, their psychological well-being, their finances, their relationships. There are even moments of rest and leisure and hobbies. Bless every component of their lives. But may they, even being on this, this season with us on the World Prayer Network, may it not prove to be a drain of time and energy, but may it have been restored. It may, Lord, would you give back to them miraculously somehow, even the time they've invested and willingness to, to talk to us and help us understand more about higher education in Christian environs. We bless them in the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the Well-Versed Podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.